0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network, brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at FullSneakGear.com. Also, be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at Sportsman'sEmpire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Interstate Batteries. From your truck, to your trail camera and everything in between. If you have a piece of hunting gear or a piece of hunting equipment that needs a battery, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. You can go to a local retail store or you can go visit online at interstatebatteries.com. They have thousands of local retail shops all over the U.S. so you can go there as well. Interstate Batteries outrageously dependable.
1: Woo! One, two.
0: This is the Hunting Gear Podcast, and just like the title implies, we cover all things hunting gear and equipment. From discussions with the top manufacturers to product reviews from past hunting experiences, our goal is to provide you with reliable and unbiased product information in hopes of educating you on new products and assisting in future purchases. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast starts right now. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast uh, today is a follow-up episode to our original Broadhead conversation that we had on August 16th. I think that's when I launched the podcast. Uh, Me and Bob, we got together and we talked about our likes and dislikes and Broadhead experiences from the past. And this is the follow-up episode. Today I'm talking with two guys from the manufacturing side of things. We're going to be talking with John Severson from Rage and Fred Doherty of WASP and uh, i asked them some of the same questions i also asked them some different questions as well about broadheads function fit material what they need to do all that kind of stuff right so we dig in deep we get uh, information straight from the horse's mouth about broadheads in general and then they also talk a little bit about their own products as well so Uh, The first thing that I did is we started off with Fred Doherty of WASP. And in order to make a broadhead, you got to have quality material. And that is the first question that uh, I I ask Fred is, why is it important to have quality material?
1: Well, I I mean, Dan, I think it's twofold. I think it's, you know, you have to buy quality materials, number one. Um, Bows are faster today. Uh, which means more kinetic energy, which means when, when they do hit bone or they may pass through and hit a rock or something like that, you know, something's going to give at 470 feet per second. I'm talking crossbow, obviously, you know, versus the old you know, 200 feet per second or whatever. Um, and I think we've talked about this in the past, at least I, I talk about it a lot, is that you know, the, uh, steel and aluminum are kind of pretty much the same. We've gone to premium aluminum on some of our heads uh, just to try to overcome this, but there's only so much you can do, and and continue to have only a hundred grains. You know, you, you just you just can't. You know, I know some other companies tried titanium and some other things. It, it's just it's cost prohibitive uh, to do that sort of thing, and the average shooter doesn't want it. Um, so you know, we try to use the best materials we can. We also source uh, from the U.S., uh, which also. I mean, I just I just put an order in for stainless steel. I say just put it in, I'm waiting for it, because I put it in uh, with a 19-week lead time to get the steel that we need to make our tips. So 19 weeks is a long time to, to wait for a specialty steel um, that we use to make our you know, hardened stainless steel trocar tips. Um, and then the other thing, you know, anytime we, we talk about materials, I tell people all the time um, that the more solid you can keep your piece, um, I'm talking like a ferrule now, um, when you start drilling holes through it and putting little screws in it and little holding pins and you know things like that, it, it obviously you're you're going to weaken that material. It doesn't get stronger. You know, it's it's not a bridge girder. You know, it's not going to get stronger by by drilling holes in it um, and, uh, and and putting little pins and screws and things like that. And we've proven that time and time again by by shooting at you know really hard materials and steel targets and and things like that
0: gotcha is there a plateau when it comes to material that you think where um there's companies trying to go overboard or you know if if we make a combination of materials it's going to mean you're going to be able to shoot through a you know a foot of concrete or whatever
1: yeah i i i think the plateau's already been hit like i said the only other thing that, in my opinion because we've researched this and i have spent a lot of time on it I and mean, you you can go into like a titanium or something like that, but, but the, the average hunter is not willing to pay for that. Um, I think one of our competitors had that years ago. It was like $80 for three broadheads, and that's, that's just because the material costs so much. So I've been on this bandwagon. You've heard me talk about it. Many, many of my customers hear heard me talk about it. We need to be shooting heavier. We need to be in a 125 grain um, at least, um, 150, in my opinion, is better for, for most um, eastern hunters, for sure. Guys that are only going to shoot, you know, 30, 35 yards is a long shot. Um, in Pennsylvania, you know, Maryland, Delaware, New York, where, where we all hunt. Um, I, I personally, I, I shot one deer at 42 yards, and I knew the exact yardage and so on and so forth. And hell, that, that was probably 20 years ago. I, mean, I You know, we just don't get long shots, and you surely don't need um, – a a super flat shooting bow if you're 25 yards and in you know your your first pin is your first pin regardless whether you're shooting 100 grain head or 150 grain head it's you know you're not you're not seeing that much i fully understand and admit that at 80 90 100 yards sure things start to start to widen up quickly and and your pins get further apart and so on and so forth but um, I, i truly believe that i mean we're all shooting 125 grain now um I'm going on a muskox hunt here in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be shooting a 150 grain with a super heavy arrow. I uh, have no qualms about that whatsoever, and I, I wish guys would understand that that it's it's better kinetic energy. It's better for your bow, by the way. I mean, it's kind of if you think about you know what's the worst thing you can ever do with your with your compound bow is dry fire it. Um, so is 100 grains enough now with these super fast bows, or, or should you have a little more weight in both arrow and broadhead and you know, etc. Um, likewise weighted inserts i mean I, I think it's silly to put you know a brass insert and then shoot a hundred grain broadhead you know well, why not just shoot a 150 grain broadhead and, and accomplish you know because now now 150 grain i can make them out of steel i can make them out of thick steel uh and they're going to be tough and they're not going to bend very easily at all
0: do you think the 100 grain broadhead eventually goes away yes yeah, yeah. okay that's very interesting
1: it, it's going to take longer um then I think it should, but I mean every year our 125 and 150 grain sales keep climbing. I mean it's it's a, it's a never-ending you know, ascension. It's it's it keeps climbing, and uh, um, we're we're doing more and more um, to put our energies, if you will, in, into heavier heads. Not uh, as I said before, there's really no there's nothing tougher than steel. I mean I don't, I don't know how to get get past all that.
0: Yeah. I tell you what, and that's one thing I've noticed, you talk about uh, getting efficiency out of your bow with a heavier arrow setup. Um, I know that when I jumped my arrow, my total arrow weight up, I my bow instantly became quieter. And oh, absolutely. you know, and from what I've heard from engineering talk is when your bow is quiet, that means the energy is being distributed more efficiently through the arrow out of the, out of the bow. That's exactly right. So, uh, that's, a, I, I guess, a, a good thing to talk about. Now, when we, you mentioned on the East side of the country, we're shooting mostly out whitetails and we're shooting fairly close to them. Um, now let's talk about Western hunting and now we're starting to shoot, you know, maybe 60 yards, 70, maybe even longer ranges does the importance of the broadhead or the design of the broadhead change or need to be changed at longer distances?
1: Um, I, I you know, I guess the short answer is, is yes. I mean, obviously the longer, you know, you get out to that 60, 70 yard range, you number one, you have to be a, a, an accomplished archer. You have to be a, a good shooter and practiced. You know, you, you can't just pick up your boat two weeks before the season, obviously, and, and expect to be accurate at those ranges. Um, no matter what, you're losing kinetic energy, you know, right at those distances. So, uh, no matter what you're shooting, it's not going to be as as effective. Uh, the longer the range is, um, and I, but as far, I mean, like I said, we're already making, I think, the toughest broadheads we know how. We're using the you know hardened stainless steel tip. I, I don't know what else to do. You know what I mean? I we've, believe me, I'm I scratch my head every year. I mean, <laughs> I know other companies they come out with. You know, uh, uh, um, a two-blade tip, or a, uh, or, or, or I mean, a uh, yeah, two 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 blades on a real thin tip, or something like that. It's, it's all gimmicky stuff. It's just to say, look, we have something new, um, and we all struggle with you know, what's new, because that's what you know everybody wants. You know? What's new? What's new? Right. Um, it is really hard to come up with anything better than than we at Lost, at least, have already you know accomplished. Um, believe me, I'm, the public will be the first to know if we stumble. <laughs>
0: right, right. So Hard
1: stainless on solid steel ferrules and all that. I don't, know. I don't know how much more we can do to toughen it up, um, or how fair that is. You know, like I said, if people are going to shoot seventy, eighty yards, uh, that's a long way.
0: Yeah. Is there such thing as a perfect broadhead?
1: You know, I, you know obviously yes. I mean, <laughs> it's the one we we build and sell. <laughs> <laughs> But I, no, I, I truly I, I do. I believe that you know everything I've already talked to you about as far as solid one-piece materials, premium materials, the best. you We're now using aerospace-grade aluminum um, in our in our uh, um, like our new Havalon head, um, and that'll transpire into some of our some of our other stuff um, over time. Um, but you know, it's it's aerospace aerospace grade is just a fancy way of saying it. it's it's stronger and lighter. Um, at the same time, so, uh, but but yeah, that, there's a cost to that. I mean, that's, that's expensive, and uh, you know we, we're trying to keep our cost uh, as fair as we can to the to the average consumer. But like I said, I we 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 constantly we probably have uh, eight ten ideas in our in our idea funnel, um, but we keep coming back to that hardened stainless steel trocar tip. There's just there's not much else we can we can do to it. When we have damaged heads now. When when I'm sitting I'm sitting here at my desk right now. I just opened an envelope before this call. Um, a guy sent me a drone, 125 grain, um, and it has a slight bend in the in the threads. Okay, not not the ferrule, not the tip, not not if this is inside his arrow, that that aluminum insert. So he hit a rock or or she hit you know she hit something at a glancing angle. I don't know who shot this thing, but um, when we see. Damage to a broadhead. Now that's where it is. It's inside the insert, um, inside the arrow.
0: So, so basically, the the design is to, uh, you know, all the damage, all all the parts that actually impact the animal and go through the bone and the meat and the or the tougher tissue. Those are the the parts that are being designed to not fail. That's correct okay
1: all right so the, the other thing is and I, you know i this is a hard subject for me to talk about because you know we we always say we sell tough broadheads we we include extra blades in every three pack we sell there's six extra blades so you can practice and you know get them dull and then put fresh ones in to go hunting because it's a tough tough broadhead um but it, at some point you know that that leaves the the user to believe that well this is this is indestructible i can yeah. like oh, this forever um, and it's hard to convey that back to people, especially in the context of bullets or, uh, you know, whatever else you might be hunting, guess bullets is, is the, right, the right analogy, that, you know, nobody ever gets their bullets back. The right. fact that we can give you your broadhead back hundreds of times if you're shooting into a target, I and mean, as long as you, like I said, don't pass through and hit a rock or, or you know, slam, I, I would you know, once I shot a broadhead, I would be very leery of shooting it, you know, into another animal. Um, I've changed the blades, but I would never never even think about you know, trying to file my blades or anything like that and guys try to do that um i, I just you're never gonna get them as sharp as, as we get them but yeah um you know just just one of those things
0: yeah, I've never been the guy who shoots uh tries to sharpen blades or shoots broadheads uh several times and i and I know that's just me like if it goes on my arrow. And it kills an animal. That broadhead is done. It, it's the it is the only time it's ever been shot, and the last time it will ha, will you know it'll ever be shot. So um, now as I'm,
1: I'm the same way, Dan. And actually, I have a I have a little thing going with you know with all my horns, whether they be just just be on a plaque or you know European mounts or whatever. Yep. Uh, I actually tie a little fishing line around the broadhead and and loop it over the brow pine, and that, that's that's so I you know, I know in my head that's what I use and it brings back memories and it's a cool oh, yeah. setup in my uh, in my game room.
0: Oh yeah. Now we always have this discussion about field point or uh, not field points but uh, fixed blades versus mechanicals, right? And You see it about this time of year it always starts to pop up on social media you know, are you a mechanical guy or are you a fixed blade guy? And then guys will go back and forth and, and chit-chat about it. Is is one of those better at killing deer, or animals at all?
1: Uh, you know, again at at short range, white-tailed deer, east side. You know, I'm talking about a, a monster deer around here would be two hundred, two hundred twenty pounds. That would be unheard of. You know, that that's a huge animal. Um, but that's nothing. You know, if you're moose hunting or you know, eland. Let's let's say you're in Africa shooting an eland. It's you know they gig it up over a ton. Um, so, you know, my opinion is the bigger the animal, the obviously the tougher the broadhead you need to have, the uh, more penetration you need to have because it's a big big animal with big ribs and you know big big bones and and a, and a lot of uh, width to it, if you will. Um, so, I, I think that probably the best way to answer that is is to go go backwards. I mean, everybody two inch cut. We want these giant holes entry holes and um me personally i want i want an exit hole um number one that's my first priority i want an exit hole um not just an entry hole but an exit hole um and then number two what what's the limit i mean should we make a three inch broadhead, a five inch broad you know what i mean it's just like you get to a point where you're not going to the bigger the bigger cut you're just not going to get the penetration because you know kinetic energy is absorbed by the by the blades themselves So certainly, you know, nobody's gone, like I said, eel-in hunting um, with a mechanical broadhead. I I think that would be ludicrous. Not saying it couldn't be done. Um, Certainly, I'm sure it could. Um, But I I just don't, you know, I I think you have to use common sense and be fair to the the game animal you're hunting. When it comes to white-tailed deer, I don't think it makes a difference. You you can shoot an inch and three-quarter or two-inch, or you can shoot a one-inch. So I, I just like I said, they're, they're, a deer is not that tough of an animal. They're not that wide. Um, and it's not that hard to get to get through them, right. um, with a good quality broadhead. So we you? The other, say- you don't mind if I if I take a tangent here for a second because I've been on this another bandwagon for a while that all broadheads manufacturers, us included, we, we talk about cutting diameter. And I don't know if you and I had this conversation before, but broadheads don't cut in a diameter. Okay, they cut, if it's a three blade or two blade, you know, they cut in two or three little slices. And if you draw concentric circles, one on top of another of a, an inch and a quarter cut versus an inch and three quarter cut, let's say, that sounds like it should be a whole lot of extra cut. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's, it's three little you know, 36 thousandths width blades that are sticking out an extra three sixteenths in three directions. <laughs> I hope I didn't get too complicated. But you, know, you know what I mean? If you
0: right, right makes it, sense.
1: It's not like you're drilling a hole through it. Um, you're just making these cuts. And me personally, I'll take accuracy over cut diameter any day of the week. Yeah. And that's the exact same reason why you know nobody makes a a two inch diameter fixed head. It's not going to fly. You know, it's going to it's going to veer off at the at the. I mean, you're going to have to have an expert release and tuned bow and be an expert shooter to get something you know with a major wing profile to fly straight at you know 30 40 yards
0: right i had a conversation with a guy a while back i uh, can't remember with who but he was he he talked about blades like the number of blades on a fixed head um is there is there a ahead and let's just use fixed blades for example i'm I'm sure the conversation could work with mechanicals as well but is there a number of blades that that you know of that has more stopping power than you know obviously if you hit uh, a deer in the heart with a a field tip it's going to kill the deer right is there is there a, a broadhead like, the number of blades, does it actually make a difference in the long run?
1: I, I think um, it, probably the answer is yes. I mean, probably there's some sort of an optimal. Um, believe it or not, long before my time with Wasp, um, they because we, I found some of at the factory, we, we had a six-blade broadhead. Six-blade? Um, yep, six-blades. I don't remember what it was called. It looked like it was on that old cam lock frame, but they actually put six of them. Um, on there, like I said I have I have one or two left over up the shop that were that were saved from somewhere um, i I think it's a a matter of optimizing um, the way your arrow spins with you know the number of blades the width of the blades and it and it just seems like not just wasp but everybody else it's it's either two or three um, you know when going way back to you know the Indians and so forth they they napped a rock and it was convenient to do it in a in a two blade um they, they probably never pulled it off in a three blade back then um so i i think that a, you know a three blade is has become the standard and the norm is four better i'm sure i mean even one more is better and, and then five six eight I, I don't know what the the optimal is but um again if you if you take let's say we take that six bladed head um, and we slam into a shoulder when well, i you know now i now you got to cut through, you know, there's a lot more that has to be uh, uh, busted through, if you will, than a three or a two or, you know,
0: whatever. Yeah. So when, when you sit down and you try to design a, a new head when it's time for, you know, Wasp to come out with a new one, what are the parameters that you guys are, you know, and and I'm sure there's some marketing in play here too, because, you know, you gotta, you gotta market it to the masses so people can sell it. Right. So it can be sold. But when you're sitting down and actually designing a new broadhead, what are, what are some things that you guys are thinking about Bases that you try to cover when, you know, putting out something that not only kills animals, but is sellable.
1: Well, you know, like, like I said before, we, we tend to get on, on the same track all the time that we want. We want to be able to utilize our our patented, stainless steel, hardened Trocar tip. We just feel like nothing better has come along. We don't ignore that. We keep trying to come up with that. Maybe, maybe we should have a, we have a couple of the right name for it, but a, a, a four-edged uh, tip. Was that a four-car or something? I don't know. We have a couple of the right word for it, but a quad, a quad tip or something, um, and and would that be better? Um, but we we always come back to hey, look, we have what we know works, and why would we change that? Um, we we also are we're convinced that when we align that tip with our blades, uh, that's a game changer as well because it provides greater penetration. We know this, we've proven it. Um, so it's it's just one of those things. Uh, I think everybody struggles. Uh, throughout the industry, because like I said, everybody wants something new. But you know, we all got pointy, we all got sharp, and now the differentiator between that is who can fly straight, who can make them you know perfectly concentric, uh, who can who can make them tough so that they, if they do, you already said it. If you hit between ribs and through both lungs or through the heart or something like that, anything will, will kill a white-tailed deer. Uh, I don't think you need a special fancy broadhead. It's when it's when you make that mistake uh, when you hit a shoulder when you. When you're moose hunting and you hit smack on a, you know, a rib that's whatever two inches wide or something on a moose, you know, you you want something that's gonna that's gonna bust that up and, and penetrate. And, and we feel like the hardened stainless steel uh, trocar is is the way to do that. Um, and our testing proves it. When we when we test against competition and so forth, that's that's what we get.
0: The next guy that I talked with is John Sullivan. He is one of the founders of Rage Broadheads. And to kick things off, I asked him a very simple, high-level question. What does a broadhead
2: need to do? It needs to efficiently uh, cut. It needs to be sharp, and it needs to efficiently dispatch uh, the intended quarry um, as quickly and humanely as possible. Right
0: so when we talk about uh, efficiency right and that's the delivery of the the broadhead and the arrow to the animal right um is there is there an efficiency loss let's say with an a quote unquote average broad uh, mechanical broadhead during
2: that delivery method so with essentially there's there's a couple different kinds of mechanical broadheads and and when rage broadheads first started the way in which the the blades deploy with a rage broadhead were different and that's kind of what set it apart and the the older uh i'm not going to say archaic but the older versions of mechanical broadheads were what i call it jackknife style mechanical where they open from the front to the back yep. and so what happens as that broadhead hits the the animal is those blades have to come all the way back so the way i've always explained it it's like shooting a little parachute on the front of your arrow because those things deploy and they suck energy out of the arrow as it passes into the substrate so into the animal so where rage broadhead the way that it works those blades deploy from the front to back with so they slide backwards so the the blade itself is exposed the shoulder gets driven through the body and the ferrule of the broadhead and they slide back so that you don't have that energy loss that you would with a conventional jackknife style mechanical broadhead. So that's why it kind of set us apart from when we first, first designed
0: that broadhead. Gotcha. So is that, that would be considered that slip cam blade opening. Okay. All right. So then as you guys start to, you know, started to develop that, did you guys actually do um, energy loss testing?
2: Yeah, we do a lot of different things, Um, when we first started, we did a lot of different tests in different types of substrates for penetration to see how an arrow shot from a, you know, the same bow, how it penetrated into all these different substrates and through different things. And, and, uh, so our, our standard test that we generally use is, um, military ballistic gel. And then we have, uh, eighth inch. Cowhide leather that we put over the face of it, and we we measure the depth of penetration into that substrate. So, how far it passes into that is kind of how we. That's kind of our basic penetration test that we do um, with with our product and any anyone's product. Right. So we own several different broadhead companies. So it's uh, we we constantly test test those with that type of a test. Okay. So,
0: I've seen a lot of different YouTube. I guess homemade videos of guys testing broadheads on a variety, um, different you know a variety of different applications, whether it's a steel plate or a cinder block or uh, this gel with cowhide or whatever. When you guys do a test on a broadhead, uh, your development process, wh- like, how do you standardize that so that everything is like? So you're measuring the actual performance of the broadhead and not something else.
2: Mm -hmm. So we do disruptive testing and you know, what, what you'll see, I mean, from day one, we've had people and, and with the, the onset of social media, which has really grown since we first started in 2006 when we first came to market, um, it, it, there, it social media was not as strong back then as it is today, but people were still doing different things. They would, when we first started with rage, they were shooting them into VCRs and pallets and, <laughs> you know, you name it. And they, and, it, and they were able to go on to archery talk or some of the other, um, you know, forums that they used to use. <clears throat> um, and they would, they would post their, you know, their results of whatever they were testing, you know, shooting into. So we kind of made, a few standard tests for destructive testing and we use uh, basically half inch OSB um, chipboard, if you will. And we, we do a test where we shoot it at 90 degrees. So just straight on. Then we do a test at 45 degrees and we test all of our different broadheads with those. And then we do shoot them into a steel plate. We've shot them into concrete. Um, We've shot all of our broadheads into concrete. And uh, so we do, we do those tests, but our standard test is that OSB, at ninety degrees and OSP at forty five degrees. Right, right. So, what do
0: those tests tell you, or give insight into that? You know, actually shooting a broadhead, let's say, into a whitetail deer.
2: So they're gonna they're gonna show you a couple different things. Um, one of the things that we do is with our blade material and the type of blade material that we use. You want your blade material to be malleable, so you want it to be. You want the material to bend before it breaks, and so when we first started, one of the things that we did is we changed our blade material from the first day when we started because upon doing those tests, we realized that our broadheads could be very sharp, but they would break um at the type that the four forty material that we're using when we first started, so we switched it to a different material, and that gave us we where we could still we could harden it to a harder rock hardness and still maintain sharpness yet let it still be malleable. So we want our, our blades to bend. So when we shoot through that, that wood, it allows us to see how our blades <clears throat> hold up as it goes through that wood versus, you know, and it, and it comes down to the, the blade angle, the way the blades deploy all those different pieces and parts. Um, and we, it allows us to see that. And it also allows us to see what, how our ferrule holds up our feral strength. Gotcha. So when
0: you're doing all this testing, Uh, You know, there's that there. It either passes or it fails. I don't know if you guys if that's how you like, I don't know, come up with the results. But what what is considered a failure if the blade bends or if it breaks or if something destructive happens to it or because uh, as a hunter, I look at uh, a broadhead going through an animal, it could break but kills the animal. So I consider that a success
2: right if we break if we break parts um it could be a fastener it could be the blade it could be the ferrule itself if we break parts then we kind of go back to the drawing board and and do you know do some tweaks to the design or whatever the case may be so um and then you know we get a tons we just got i just got six different pictures today of trophy you know grip and grin pictures of people and friends that have shot animals just today Mm -hmm. and uh you know, they'll oftentimes send a picture of the broadhead, you know, after it went through the animal. And a lot of times you'll see a little bend or whatever it is in the blade. And that, that kind of stuff makes me happy to see that because that, that blade did exactly what it was supposed to do. It stayed intact, dispatched the animal and, you know, they, they were happy. So that, uh, you know, that's the type of thing that, that we like to see is that, that, you know, the blades, I want the blades to bend before they break. Right. So, so,
0: I think I know why you want them to bend before they break, but tell everybody why
2: you want them to bend before they break. Because it's still intact and it's still going to be cutting right. its full cut as it goes through the animal. Gotcha. Okay. No, It's not coming apart and not cutting doing its job. Right. Right. And so, a lot of times the blades don't bend at all, but it's just, you know, it just depends on what it hits, how it hits. Right. And, uh, you know, let's face it, when it comes down to, to hunting animals, um, create the craziest things you can possibly imagine happen. And, uh, you know, the way that that, that animal reacts when the, when the arrow hits it, there's all kinds of things that can happen. It's never, it's rarely, rarely perfect. And, um, you want the best chance you can get to cut as much as you can possibly cut as you go through that animal, no matter what he or she does when when the arrow hits it. Right, right. So
0: I want to talk a little bit about design and the process. I I'm a sucker for process. Uh I I I love hearing about how something gets to an end result, right? Because a lot of times you go to the ATA show or you you're you're at a store and you see a pack of broadheads or a tree stand or whatever and you say, man, I wonder how they got the idea to come up with this, right? So kind of walk us through how you guys come up with the design uh, and then I don't know whether you reverse engineer it or come up with a process to actually get the end result.
2: So in the in the instance of Rage, um, we do it by listening to our customers. And so we get lots of different phone calls um through our customer service through social we get social media posts we get all different kinds of things and we have since the beginning of rage and you know people have issues with this or that and so we we call it our evolution so we've evolved from what we began as to what we are today by listening to our customers and kind of changing and tweaking things and you can't be everything to everyone and that's one of the things that we realize here is that. You know there's always going to be someone that doesn't like this or that doesn't like that but if we can appeal to the masses that's what we try to do and so you know when we first started we had an o-ring so that was our blade retention system was an o-ring that was on the back of the the broadhead and it worked great um it allowed the the broadhead to do a couple things one we called it our we called it a shot clock o-ring and so one, it kept the blades in place. Two, when the blades deployed, it worked as kind of a shock absorber, if you will, as those blades passed through the substrate. It allowed it the it, the blade to squeeze a little bit in and out, and it gave it a little bit of a shock absorption on the backside of the ferrule. So, the one thing that you deal with when you deal with an, a rubber O-ring is that there's there's all kinds of different environmental fe- things that can affect the the durometer and the the rubber itself and you know it can dry rod it can do all these different things and so it it had it had its issues and we realized it. now it worked it did everything it was supposed to do but the better method was to have what we called the shot collar which the shot collar went on the back side of the ferro and it had little tabs that were designed to break away so the tab held the blades in place and retained the blades until it hit and deployed and In our testing, we found that those tabs and the the breaking away of those tabs actually took less energy to deploy the blades than the O-ring itself did. So we changed to a shot collar. And then as time went on over the last several years, um, you know, the shot collar works great. It's still a great system. It has its downfalls where a consumer can put the shot collar on incorrectly. So basically there are little tabs and in between those tabs are little uh gaps and so one would naturally think that and a lot of people do they want their blades to deploy they think that they need to put those gaps in on where the blade locks in place and that's not the case you need to put the tab under the blade so we had lots of different issues with customers calling and putting them on incorrectly we had directions on the package and all different kinds of things but then we developed a tripan which had a one-way shot color it can only go on one way so that it can't get put on incorrectly and it it has to work the way that it's supposed to work the next evolution which is what we uh, we just came out with this year is our new nc technology which is a no collar technology so it doesn't have a collar at all so it has an actually an internal sear inside the blade design itself and the geometry that allows the blade to be pushed up and locked into place without the use of a a ring or a collar or any type of thing. So it's kind of the next evolution in blade retention and just another step. And so as we kind of go forward, we'll try to, you know, we'll come up with the next thing, but for now that's, that's uh it's a, it's a great system. It works really, really well. And in fact that a couple of the pictures today were people that were using these new NCs and uh, they're working, it's working really, really well.
0: Awesome. So you know, talking about the evolution of a specific product like a broadhead or or a mechanical broadhead to be more specific, is there a plateau or is there a peak to the mountain where I guess design and engineering just can't go any further?
2: Well, one would think that, but you know, every day there's new things that we think of that, that can make it better. And, you know, Again, I'll go back to a thing like blade angle. So the angle at which those blades deploy and when it goes and it's driven through, um, by decreasing that blade angle by making it more swept back, it penetrates better. So if you look at our original two-blade Rage broadhead, which was two inches, and you look at our Tripan broadhead, which is our which our new broadhead, which was a couple of years ago, it's two inches too, but the blade angle is a lot. Um, lot more laid back on the tripan, so at, it's a lot better penetrating two inch head than the original rage two two inch head was so by doing things like that we can continually increase performance and it just we just keep looking at different things and it it comes down to feral design feral material um there's all kinds of different things that we can we can mess around with as we go forward that we can take and, and this nc is a prime example just you know, the tripan that we made is it's, you know, in my opinion, it's the best broadhead we ever made. I mean, it's really a good broadhead, you know, but when you take this NC technology and, and it kind of simplifies it a little bit more, there's things that we can do to continually improve um, on performance. So is there a plateau? Uh, I don't think so because there is a lot of smart people out there that come up with ideas and come up with things that can continually make things better. So I'm not saying we're the best that there is um at, coming up with we're not we don't know everything and um you know we we constantly are are challenging ourselves to come up with different things as well so um right. but yeah you just never know
0: what what is that blade angle do you happen to have a number that you could share with us because you, you mentioned that when the blades are swept back further they have better, better penetrating power um, I don't know it. I don't know that blade
2: angle okay. off the top of my head when it's that fully
0: deployed. So hypothetically that then, if I'm correct, if, if you want to maintain a two diameter cut, you have to have longer blades upon full deployment correct. then, right? Okay. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so, um, at that point then, uh, I was talking the guy, uh, who is on going to, was on before you in this podcast talked about, um, uh, he you know he talked a lot about like the material that they use, and you know it has to be the highest quality material when you start to like really stretch out and and you know try to maintain let's say a hundred and a hundred grain head or a hundred and twenty five grain head, do you have to sacrifice any anything along the way to get to the design but at the same time keep that that hundred
2: or hundred and twenty five yes. inch grain? hmm That's that's one of the biggest challenges that that we face is trying to fit all this technology into 100 grains. And my engineers would tell you if they could make every broadhead 125 grains, we could have the coolest broadheads you could possibly imagine. But we've got to try to fit everything into 100 grains, and that really limits you as to what you can do um, in design. And so it's one of the things that we're we're constantly challenged with. And and you know because the market is driven by hundred grain heads, that's where we kind of set the bar, if you will. Right. So why do you think yes, that is that is definitely a limitation. Well, when I first started in this industry back in the nineties, um, you know, 125 grain was reigned true. It was the king and throughout the the late nineties, you know, that trans- transition started to move to a hundred grains and it, it was people wanting more speed. And then you saw even smaller broadheads. Um, you know, 85 grain and 75 grain broadheads because people wanted more speed. And um, you know, as things have evolved and carbon arrows have kind of take have, have taken over, obviously um, majorly. You know, back in those days, there were still people shooting a lot of aluminum arrows, and the mass weight, you know, the overall mass weight of the arrow was pretty pretty heavy when you start talking about an aluminum arrow and then you you put a 75 grain head on the front of it you could justify it now with a carbon arrow internal component carbon arrow um you you put a 75 grain you're shooting a really light um projectile and it you know you don't get the good characteristics that you would so 100 grain is just kind of what people feel comfortable with i think more than anything in actuality um the way that arrows fly and arrows work 125 grains on the end of a carbon arrow it actually helps i kind of like talk about it like throwing a dart you know all of the weight of the dart is in the front yeah. and so when you throw the dart the weight of that dart pulls and straightens that projectile as you're throwing it so the heavier that tip and gives you a better foc as long as you have your spine correct generally you're going to get better flight characteristics with 125 grain and that's what i shoot personally is 125 grain so you know, with my little skinny one, six, six arrows that I'm shooting, I shoot 125 grain head and it, it gives me just great arrow flight because I get that FOC and, um, you know, but it's just one of those things that, that I do and I can't change the whole archery industry myself. And, uh, it just, people are, com- are comfortable with that hundred grain head, I think. Right. So
0: with you just saying that it almost like rage came in, To the hunting industry and i feel like they just kicked the front door open and said hey we're here we're rage right Mm -hmm. um why can't rage change (laughs) the industry and just say hey we got a kick-ass broadhead but it's only going to come in
2: 125 well we've talked about that a lot internally and uh it it comes down to we have to convince our people um we're a we're a a B2B company, so we sell to businesses. We have to get our buyers to buy what we sell. And it doesn't matter if it's a dealer or a Bass Pro Shops or whatever type of account that it is that we have to sell the product to, they've got to buy it. And I think the reluctance of that particular buyer to buy into it, if you will, um, kind of holds us back to an extent. But Don't, don't write it off yet because it's, we, we've talked about it a lot, especially over the last two years. So that may be something that we really push to do as we go forward. So
0: that
2: book's not closed. Right.
0: Right. Now, do you guys have fixed blades heads at all? Rage does not. No. Rage does not. Okay. Yeah. Faradine, no. like you said, owns a handful of other. Companies. We own Muzzy as well. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so. so you. So as far as Rage is concerned, that's a uh, a mechanical company. So what about the difference now? I mean, you see an insurgence of people using crossbows, right? And mm-hmm. uh, everything that I've seen, you got a. You're shooting a just a lightning fast. Weapon here, and the heads are typically a little bit bigger than hundred grains. Uh, is the crossbow uh, broadhead market give people more, I guess, or designers like yourself uh, a little bit more leeway when designing, just because you can go to a, a heavier head at that
2: point? Not necessarily, because most most people that shoot a crossbow, they Want to maintain the warranty of their crossbow, and a lot of the crossbow manufacturers in their warranty book say that you're supposed to shoot 100 grain head. And I'll use my dad as a prime example. He got a, I got him a crossbow a couple of years ago, and he wanted to use his his book said he needed to shoot um, 125 or 100 grain heads, and I told him he should probably shoot 125s because give him a heavier projectile, it's going to work better, it's going to do things better. And he would not, he had to shoot hundred grains cause that's what his book said that he had to shoot. And, uh, I said, dad, I've been doing this for 20 years. And I said, I know what I'm talking <laughs> about. And he wouldn't, he would, he had to shoot a hundred grains. So it's just, you know, I think a lot of people follow that book that, that comes with their crossbow to a T and if their book says a hundred grains, they're going to shoot a hundred grains. Yeah. And so you are limited by that as well. But, um, you know, we have, you know, made 150 greenheads, So there are, um, you know, some manufacturers that kind of, they're not going to, they don't recommend it in the book, but they, they kind of do. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about a crossbow bolt, it's a short, it's a short projectile. <clears throat> so it's mass weight, you know, it has to, it has to be very, you know, heavy in its design. And so, you know, a lot of companies have gone to a brass insert, different things like that. And they'll recommend a hundred grain head or whatever the case may be, but putting a heavier head on there, gives you even a heavier projectile and better FOC and better flight characteristics. And I think a lot of people, um, I shouldn't say a lot, but some people understand that. And so we do sell some 150 grain heads, um, and it allows us to, to do some things differently, but you don't want to the thing is you don't want to put too much technology or, you know, cool technology into one of these 150 grain heads or 125 grain heads, because then the hundred grain guys ask for it. And that's where we got, you know, what we just talked about prior, Um, you know, we've got to, we've got to change that the way that people think, I guess, more than anything. And and it takes time. And, and uh, you know, so it's one of those things that, that uh, you know, we constantly talk about internally. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So Here's kind of just a, a daydreamer's question. Is there such thing as the perfect broadhead?
2: Um, the, well, it just depends. You know, I, I would say, in my opinion, um, the TriPan broadhead that we designed a couple years ago, um, in my opinion, was the perfect broadhead. You know, I would use that broadhead on any animal um, on the North American continent. Well, pretty much any animal anywhere. Um, you know, that particular broadhead works. It does all the things that a broadhead's supposed to do. Um, the way that it works, it deploys, it's a, it's a titanium ferrule. It's really a strong, tough broadhead. Um, you know, that one is a really, really good broadhead that we make. But as far as like the perfect one, you know, there's different applications and that's why, that's why we have the different SKUs that we have, you know, there could be a person that's shooting and that's, that's me right now. I can't shoot as much energy as I, as heavy a pull as I used to be able to pull because I hurt my shoulder. And so I shoot a little bit less poundage. So I use our plus P broadhead, which we have a new broadhead that's coming out this next year that uses this new NC technology in a plus P, which gives you, gives me better penetration. So it's not as big of a cut. Um, it's a inch and three quarter cut, but it allows me to use that particular broadhead, um, with my lower poundage setup. So there you know that the tripan broadhead isn't going to work for everyone. And you know it's just basically we have a a skew, a product that will fit for anyone and the perfect broadhead for me is not the tripan. It's a it's a different broadhead that we make. So it just in in given the application there's we do make a perfect broadhead for every application. It's just every application's different. Gotcha. Okay. So
0: let's see, as far as, um, design kind of going back to design again, um, you you got these categories, right? Like let's say penetration or surface area Mm -hmm. or, um, blade diameter, cutting diameter, whatever. What, what is the most important out of those three or any other categories that you, that you have when choosing a broadhead to kill an animal with? Penetration. Right. Um, So
2: the penetration
0: penetration trumps surface area and trumps. So like if a field point got you a pass through and a one inch cut didn't get you a pass through a field point is is better than a (laughs) something that
2: causes damage. And I'm just, you know, playing devil's advocate here. Ideally, you want two holes in the animal. Um, And that's. You know what? I'll go back to too is another point that I'll say. In you know most, I will say most hunters are whitetail hunters, and most a lot of hunters. Now, when we first started, I'll say you know things have changed a lot. There's a lot more people that hunt from ground blinds nowadays than they used to. Um, back in those days, most people hunted from tree stands when they hunted for their white tails. and so most of the time the shot angle is fairly high on the body of the animal. And so what that boils down to is you want blood, you want blood to come out of the animal. And so when shooting the jackknife style mechanical, that um, like I said, was like a little parachute on the front. When you would hit that animal fairly high, it would take a lot of energy and a lot of times it would not pass through. And, what that means is that you're going to have a hole that's fairly high in the animal that's plugged with an arrow and the entrance hole is not going to be very big when that, that goes in because the blades don't deploy till they're inside of the the animal. So you have this hole that's fairly high plugged with arrow. As the deer runs off, it takes a long time for the blood to fill up to that hole and then start to come out where if you had another hole on the other side, the, the blood would already be coming out the other side of the hole. So, the difference with a rage, and if you didn't get it pass through with a rage, is it cut a big hole as it went in. It gave you a lot better chance for blood to come out than the the smaller hole. That was one of the biggest things that you know when we first started that's what we would get pictures of, and we still do to this day of the entrance holes you know that we get with our broadheads because they leave such an aggressively big entrance hole, and it gives you a lot more chance for blood right so. Um, you know, ideally, you know, one of the best shots in my opinion is a quartering away shot where oftentimes you, you aim for the opposite side shoulder or the opposite side leg. And a lot of times on that shot, you're hitting something really hard on the other side. So sometimes you don't get a pass and you take that quartering away shot and having that big hole gives you a lot better chance to get for blood loss. Gotcha. Okay. So,
0: so then let's see here. Um, there's not necessarily a perfect broadhead per se. Uh, maybe there is for a certain application, but you know, I, th- I think I read a statistic at some time that a majority of the archery kills are inside 20 yards or somewhere around that 20, like 25, and in eight. eight? Yeah, it's
2: like 18
0: yards. Yeah, yep. 18 yards something. 18. Like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so does the with with today's bows and how? powerful they are and you know all the energy that some of these can produce does the
2: broadhead actually matter that much at 18 yards it does it does just because like i said animals do all kinds of things and they can do it in 18 yards they can do it in you know or less and uh so what i what i've always said is with a rage it gives you that big huge cut and it it's the best bad hit broadhead that there is so if you don't make a perfect shot whether it's 18 yards or it's 40 yards having that big huge cut gives you more chance to hit something vital than with a small cutting diameter broadhead so gotcha. if you're shooting a broadhead that's an inch that inch you have a lot if, if the shot isn't exactly perfect you have a lot less chance of hitting something vital than you do with a two inch cut going through the animal we always say it's hard an animal to walk off a two inch cut no matter where you know there's all kinds of things that we've said from the beginning of time but you know if if you hit the animal in the middle and you give him ample time to die chances are you're going to get your animal with this this rage broadhead because you you've hit something inside of him that you know that's going to not it's going to hurt him. So gotcha. it's just one of those things where it gives you a better chance of hitting something vital. If you don't make that perfect shot and let's right. face it, you know, a lot of us don't always make the perfect shot. I don't, <clears throat> I've made some poor shots throughout my time, but luckily I've been able to, to to, to get a yep. majority of the animals that I've shot. Right. Right. All right. Let's
0: say there's a guy and this is the last question I'll ask you before we split, but Let's say there's a guy, he is just getting into bow hunting, right? This is his first year of archery, first year of bow hunting. He's at the store. He's trying to to find a a broadhead that's going to fit his needs. And we'll just say he's a whitetail hunter, right? A typical whitetail mm-hmm. hunter. Um, what should he be looking for? Not necessarily, hey, go buy a rage, but as a... a as a broadhead as a whole, should he be looking more towards a fixed blade? Should he be looking towards a mechanical? What should he really be focusing on?
2: Well it depends on a couple of different things. One, the air you know, the energy that his bow produces. So knowing you know if he's a if he's a sixty pound guy or a seventy pound guy, you know, his draw is gonna be seventy pounds. He's probably gonna shoot an internal component carbon arrow, you know, and his draw length. So how long his draw is, all those factors will play into what type of broadhead he's gonna he's gonna pick. One. Two, um, how much time he's gonna put into shooting. And one of the things that, that a mechanical broadhead gives you over a fixed blade broadhead is you they don't take as much time to get them to shoot like your practice points when you're practicing all the time. And that's one of the things that that has really helped in popularity of mechanical broadheads is that you practice all summer with your your field points, and the mechanical broadhead is going to fly very similar to your field point. Where a fixed blade broadhead, a conventional fixed blade broadhead, is going to fly a little bit different than your field points in in most instances. Now, there's a lot of um, new design fixed blade broadheads that give you really close to field point accuracy. So, but that's the biggest thing is how much time you're going to put into it because when you shoot a fixed blade broadhead you know, you really need to practice with those fixed blade broadheads. And that's one of the things that a lot of people don't do and they'll buy and practice with their field points and then they'll just screw some broadheads on and they'll go out and hunt. And that isn't, that's not the thing to do. And you need to practice with those fixed blades because they don't always hit exactly the same place as your field points. And that's where, you get errant shots, bad shots, bad hits on animals, different things like that, because they didn't take the time to to practice and figure that stuff out before they went and shot at an animal. So, um, you know, if you're going to put the time in, you know, either one of those, you know, a fixed blade broadhead or mechanical broadhead, they're all going to work. It's just how much time you want to put into it and the efficacy of that particular tool, if you will, on your intended animal. So, you know, like I say, if, if, if someone is going to be standing there selling this product to a person, you know, they would go into the things when it comes to cutting diameter and penetration and, you know, there's all those different things. But as a consumer, when you walk up to that wall of broadheads, um, one of the things that I'll say about Rage is it's gonna give you, it'll give you really good accuracy, and it's going to give you a really good chance to get to your animal because you have such a big cut as it goes through the animal and it's going to work. It's going to do all the things it needs to do. Not that a fixed blade won't work. It's just, I mean, I've killed my, I killed my biggest whitetail ever with a fixed blade. I used to shoot. That's all I used to shoot with fixed blades back in, uh, back in the day. And, you know, I kind of changed over time and, and, uh, now I've shot about everything that you could possibly imagine with a mechanical broadhead and, and, You know, I wouldn't go back personally, but that's just my opinion. So it's, it can be confusing. Um, It can be a very confusing thing when you're a consumer looking at that wall of broadheads, but knowing your, your arrow length, your draw length, the poundage that you're going to shoot and, you know, the approximate speed of what you're going to shoot, those types of things will allow you to determine, you know, especially with our, with the rage broadheads, especially which one of those broadheads you should pick and so you know if you're shooting 70, 70 pounds of kinetic energy shoot our extreme because it's a big huge cut and it's bigger than the, the any of the other broadheads that we make and it gives you that 2.3 inch cut that gives you an even better chance to get your animal than as long as it's legal in your state now that's another thing that that this comes into is that in certain states there's legality like Uh, the state of Minnesota, the biggest cut you can have is two inches, which is where I live. So I can't shoot our extreme broadhead in the state of Minnesota. So it's just, that's another thing too, as well as legality. I just want to take this moment to thank
0: Fred and thank John for hopping on the podcast and chit chatting with us today about broadheads. Really appreciate that. And thank you all for listening. Really appreciate that. Appreciate that as well. If you Like what this podcast is doing. Why don't you go leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Be sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation uh, Facebook and Instagram feed. Uh, You can follow my personal uh, Instagram page as well. That's Nine Finger Chronicles. And Bob's is Hybrid Outdoors. And uh, what we want is we want to make this a community where we can start to share um, thoughts and ideas about hunting gear and equipment so if you have an idea that you'd like to run by either myself or bob for an idea for this podcast or you want a specific product uh, you want us to talk about a specific uh, product let us know and you can uh, direct message us through instagram or send us a message on facebook and uh, we'll try to answer that as soon as possible Um, next week we're going to be talking about trail cameras So if you're a trail cam nut, kind of like I am, why don't you stay tuned for that one? Other than that, be sure to subscribe wherever you're downloading and uh, follow us along on social. And I think that's it. So uh, have a good rest of your week. Have a good weekend. And we'll talk to you next time.